Hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, I Totally Relate. I'm Rissy. And I'm Shelves. And we hope you guys can totally relate. All right, you guys, welcome back to I Totally Relate. We are so excited to share another interview with you guys today. We are pleased to announce our guest, Jen Neal. Did you want to introduce yourself to our community? Sure. Who is Janelle? Who is Janelle? Oh, man. I'm Janelle. I'm 35. I am a single mom to three kids. I grew up in Salt Lake and currently still live there. I work for a law firm full time and that's it. It's working kids. That's my life. What was it like growing up in Salt Lake? I grew up on, I guess, two sides of the, you know, the world that exists in Utah. Um, My dad's family is predominantly, you know, a Mormon family. Um, He's the youngest of seven kids. And my mom's family is, she's the oldest of five kids. Her family grew up, you know, Catholic. They still are, you know, most of them. That's just their baseline faith, I guess you would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I grew up kind of with one foot in each world. You know, as kids, I have have one older brother. He's um, about four years older than I am. And we just, we didn't. We didn't grow up in either faith. It was more of like, I don't know. We didn't we didn't grow up going to either church really in our yeah. really younger years. Yeah. Um. It wasn't until we had moved to Murray. I was seven, so he would have been what, eleven, twelve. Yeah. We just kind of tried to fit in, made friends, and it really wasn't until high school that faith kind of made its way to us as far as you know friends having an influence on our religion yeah um I you know we grew up closer to my mom's side of the family they were just a very um that's my Mexican side and so it was very fun and music and just more laid back yeah Um, absolutely whereas my dad's side of the family was uh, we didn't grow up together. We would have family gatherings, like, on holidays. I like how you said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we only saw each other on, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas yeah. or Easter yeah. or the grandparents' birthday. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, I mean, seven kids plus all the grand. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. For the most part, if I could just put, like, a blanket over it, we were not close yeah. with you know, my, yeah. my Mormon side of the family. Right. Yeah. And a lot of them weren't really that close with the, each other yeah. either. It, it yeah. was just so, it was an awkwardness that existed every time we would have some kind of get together. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when you go to my mom's side of the family, it's like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? Uh, you know, just yeah. very warm, more warm and welcoming. And yeah. yeah. I think I could easily make an assumption that we were probably a little, not pushed out, but just sort of, like, not really, again, coming from a kid perspective, I don't yeah. know if, if the grown-ups, who were yeah. probably my age at that time, were yeah. reaching out to my parents. I have no idea. Yeah. I just know that we didn't attend church. We didn't attend 
it, you know, the youth functions. Yeah. I do remember, you know, neighbors, um, kids sometimes, you know, coming over and wanting to spend time and get me to like come to like young women type mm-hmm. things yeah. when we when mm-hmm. we lived in Murray because I was well, we were there till I was like 16. It wasn't it just was I I mean we went to church every once in a while all like our our Christmas and Easter gatherings with my dad's side of the family were very it was all church related yeah, yeah. they'd read yeah. from the scriptures and we'd do prayers yeah. and you know stuff yeah. like that but it wasn't we were not my parents were not like hey, it's Sunday, we're going to church, yeah. you know. Um, that came later. Yeah. And that's a whole other story. When I was in ninth grade, I was 14 at the time, and there was trauma that happened, you know, to our family. I was, and I'm, I'm telling this just to explain our transition and how this mm-hmm. impacted my life later to get more into the church. Okay. I was molested and raped by someone in our neighborhood um, for a few months. It was about four months um, in my ninth grade year. And up to that point, I was like, I'm a classic introvert. I I really always have. Mm -hmm. Quiet, kept to myself. Good grades, pretty much a good kid. Like I didn't have any glaring issues. When this trauma happened, my parents, of course, panicked. Yeah. Um, what's going on with our kid? Um, they just, they noticed a difference in behavior. I maintained my grades. I, uh, I, I went to school. I, I, you know, I think I skipped like one period one time and I had to miss a basketball. I was, I was in sports and so I had to miss a game and I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Mm. I think I missed like one day of school. I still maintain that whole good kid image type of thing, but they could tell, you know, obviously that there were signs of something happening with me and this person. And she was my boyfriend's mom at the time. And it, Oh God, I've never, I've never told my whole story like this. I don't even know where to begin, but she lived close by. She was literally on my walk. He, his house and her were on my walk home from school every day. My, I was one of the latchkey kids. You know, I, I went to school. I walked home. We, we got ourselves home every day and we just chilled until our parents got home at, you know, six o'clock at night after work. I had two working parents. Um, so I was, I was left alone to you know, do my own thing. Cell phones were not a thing then. Yeah. So this went on and I maintained the appearance that everything was okay. Obviously failed miserably because they could tell something was up. I remember having a meeting with a counselor. I don't know this person. I, I don't remember. I don't think I ever went to them, but we had this meeting. And after that meeting, they had suggested this teen program to put me in. And I believe it was like the next day my parents drove me like first thing in the morning and dropped me off. And that was, it changed everything. I was there for 14 months. My parents knew something was happening with me. I think they suspected, but didn't have any kind of confirmation or proof that I was, you know, being abused or taken advantage of or. Like what kinds of things, like now that you're older and you can look back, like, was it just like you were, Throwing tantrums, or you were more withdrawn, or what kinds yeah, what of things were the behaviors that your parents were like, and and not to I don't want to say this to like exploit you or anything, but I'm like fine. 
for people who are listening, like, what are some of the signs? Like, how how can other people be on the lookout for this? You don't have to say how sure. other people could, but like, what what were you experiencing? Isolation. Ah, okay. And I don't want to paint a picture that like my family was like this warm, cozy, super close because I I genuinely don't have a memory of how close we were. I can't pinpoint certain memories. And maybe, you know, I've had conversations with other people about it before, why I can't remember a lot of specific things about my childhood, um, even outside of this period of time of trauma. Mm. I just, maybe I just have a really crappy memory. I don't know. I know we were close. We cared about each other. My parents were involved in my life. They were involved in school. They were involved in keeping me on, like a quote, normal parent would be, you know, they weren't absent. I know that's my perspective, right? There were a couple times in the years before that, two separate times and years apart where my parents had separated. My mom had moved out and lived in a different place and we split time and and that happened when I was 10 and again when I was in eighth grade. So here we are in ninth grade when I'm 14 and I was a very, very naive 14 year old. I look at teenagers now and I'm like, just the stuff (laughs) that you're exposed to is ugh. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I kind of like a lot more exposure than what I have because I think being naive can be damaging in some regards for sure, especially in this culture that we live in. Um, I was very naive, like just (laughs) maybe on a socially like 11 or 12 year old level, maybe. I just always tried to like be the the good kid and follow the rules. So when you ask, sorry, we're going to circle right back around to that signs to look out for. I isolated more. Skipping one period one day was a big deal for me. Yeah. You know, that was a flag for me as a student. Maybe it wasn't a flag for something my brother would do. I don't have no idea. But, you know, for me, it was like, you missed a period. We got a, you know, a call from the school. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I was with this person and I skipped an entire day of school. I, I quote, ran away, I guess. And I say quote, just because I was manipulated and taken. So I don't want to say kidnapped. But there's a whole cycle that exists within an abuser and a victim relationship. Yeah. So I, I guess, ran away for a day, a, a whole school day. And my parents couldn't find me. And I finally called them in the afternoon from the mall. And the police came and, you know, picked me up. And it, mm-hmm. it was... But these these two things, like skipping a class and skipping a day, were like the red flags that I can remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at home, like I I don't have memories of yeah. certain behaviors that were like really and I've honestly never talked to my parents about it since then. If I have, I don't remember. But I do know isolation was a big thing. Absolutely. Which is hard because teenagers love to spend their yeah. time alone in their bedrooms. Yeah. Like leave me alone, stay <laughs> yeah. away. So I don't I don't know. I wish I could be a little more helpful to answer that question. But what happened is I ended up in this program and it's it's for troubled teens. Um, I'm not going to name it. Those who listen will know. But 
And it's not residential. Like, they don't have rooms there. It was a program where the parents of the children in the program house kids. So they set up their own room at their own homes. Um, They have to prepare the room, so they take everything out of it. I mean, it's gutted. Um, There's covers on the windows because the kids are not allowed to know where they're at. When you get in the car and drive there at night, you have to keep your head down like this the entire drive, no matter how far away they lived. You were not allowed to know. And this program could be different today. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I've i heard that it's loosened up on a few things, but I haven't, you know, gone back and been yeah. like, all right, how, how are things yeah, going? Sure. So we didn't know where we were. And these these parents, um, let me just give an example. It was this way, this way for every parent. They were on a schedule. So they would house kids um, a few times a week. And then, like, every other weekend. So, for instance, my parents had to convert my bedroom at home into this nothingness. Because the kids in this program, they could hurt themselves. They could hurt others. And so these rooms were literally just, like, like the foam padding you put on top of your mattress, for instance. Like, um, memory foam or something. Yeah. And blankets and pillows. And that's it. That's all you have in the bedroom. All of your personal items were left outside the room. The door was locked at night. You take home two to three kids, usually of the same gender of your own kids. So, you you know, my, my parents would house girls, sometimes boys, but mostly girls. So they'd pick us up from this facility at night by like seven o'clock, take us home, have dinner, We'd all shower. At, at this like new family's home. At a new family's home who's child was also in the program okay okay so like for instance my first night i went home to some random house and you're showering in somebody's random shower and you're yeah but we'd all have to be in there together we couldn't be separated so it's usually three people three boys at a time or three girls obviously the genders didn't mix so i would go home with the girls and there'd be three of us in the bathroom picture your bathroom one sitting on the floor facing the corner. You can't look up. You can't look around. You can't talk to each other. You know, another one's going to the bathroom and the other one's in the shower. And then you just swap rotate. out and rotate. You brush your teeth. You do whatever hygiene care you need to at night. And then when you're all done, you knock and you wait for the parent to come and say, we're ready to come out. And then you'd all come out and you'd go to bed and you wake up in the next morning so you, and you guys were all <clears throat> locked in the bedroom at nighttime. All locked. your stuff is outside and you're in, locked in the room. Literally locked in. The window has a lock on it. The You're locked in the bedroom. Yeah. And you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, and you have to be back at the facility by 7 or 7.30. It's one of the two. Yeah. And then you start your day. So you have breakfast at the home. Uh-huh. And you get there and it's group meetings you know, therapy, you have a big group of everybody attends this group with a certain, you know, counselors and staff. And then each of you, when you're first admitted, you're assigned to a specific counselor that has training, you know, to meet your needs. And so... Wait, hold on a second. Does anybody even know what your needs are? Does anybody even know why you're there? They know what the parents tell them, of course. They explain... Yeah, they have an intake. And are you with just the being deemed a a problem? A, child? A, yeah, a problem child. Are you being told that like you're like are you being told that you need to be fixed or Yeah. So, 
it's different for every kid, uh-huh. right? Okay. So most of the kids in there were in there because they're, you know, anywhere between the age of like 12 to 18, okay. right? Because when you're 18, you're a legal adult unless court ordered otherwise. So that was the age group. And the kids in there were, you know, using drugs, like Drugs, drugs, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. just like, oh, I saw my kids smoke a joint one time or something. These were kids on major drugs. These were boys and girls being, you know, having sex from what my understanding is just like, you need to chill. Like, yeah. uh, like not just like for fun or experiment. It was just like dangerous behaviors yeah. to them. These were kids who were suicidal, who have a very prevalent history of self-harm. Other kids were predators uh, themselves. They were, you know, teenage boys, 14, 15, 16 years old, molesting their younger siblings or cousins or kids who didn't attend school. At the time, this was 2000, 2001. At the time, yeah, these were the, quote, bad kids, right? They, They needed some kind of intervention, some kind of help. And, yeah, we were all thrown in there together and I was thrown in with these kids because I was skipping school and being defiant at home attitude you know but I was still attending my classes I was still attending my basketball games because I was on our our freshman basketball team in Murray I was I was still the quote good kid yeah you know for all intents and purposes I was I was thrown in and I and it was glaringly apparent that I was not the same as most of the kids in this program. Mm -hmm. And it was instant. Yes. Like it went from like, I missed school to Mm -hmm. uh, you're in. This sounds very scary life. Yeah. A whole new life. Very traumatic. Yes. And, and, and let's point out you were already traumatized. You were already going through something that was hard Scary. Taking things from you, manipulating you. Which those are things that I didn't realize at the time. Yeah. And that's the hard part about. That's why I hate talking about it because mostly the most people who are going to understand what I'm talking about and describing are people who have been through it. Yeah. But someone from the outside who says you're 14 and you didn't know that this 35 year old woman was taking advantage of you, like. You know, it didn't hurt, but it was scary. It was a huge secret. It was, don't tell anyone. The classic statement, don't tell anyone or I'll go to jail. You know, don't tell anyone or our lives are just going to be over. Yeah. So as a 14, I mean, I look at my kids and I'm like, holy crap. I can't, I can't even imagine that kind of pressure on them. But I have experience in expressing this to people and they're like, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I can't relate. Like, if it wasn't, you weren't being hurt. Like, you weren't, you were still going to school. Like, everything was fine. Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) And, like, the big deal is that your, your, your adolescence is being stolen from you. Yeah. Yeah. And it is proven what secrets do to the psychology of the brain. And, like... That is a lot of pressure. So as a young girl, you previously mentioned that you had maybe a whimsical sense of life. You called it naivety, but is it naivety or is it just childhood? Yeah, it's just yeah. basic. Like, yeah. like yeah. you had hopes, you had dreams, you had these mm-hmm. things. 
And that got robbed of you. And so I think that's the damage. The damage right there is that at 14 years old, you were you were engaging in behavior that as an adult woman now, you're like, well, it's not bad. It's just that it wasn't appropriate for the time that you were in. A direct result. Yes. The the, you know, the abuse, a direct result never would have even occurred. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't rewrite the past, but no. it just was not a part of who I was to, right. you know, yeah. skip school and be an asshole. I right. Guess, to yeah. my, well, I mean, I've always been kind of a stubborn kid, but yeah, the behaviors that I was exhibiting at the time were a direct result to the abuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can say that with confidence. Having looked back on it, obviously, at the time, I just felt like an awful Sure. Person, you know, like I just did something wrong. I'm in here with these kids. I must belong here. And it's hard. It's such a hard thing for me to reconcile because that program saved my life. My parents, being their age, like they were the same age as this other person, you know, like being their age now and the last couple years, you know, I've had these feelings or memories come up that I can only think how panicked they must have been right and like if something like that were happening with my kid I would freak out too Mm. I I can't it's not fair for me to say I would have done it differently yeah I can only think that they were so scared they had a feeling and my mom is a lot like me she's very intuitive very empathetic she can feel it when something's off yeah I can only imagine that she obviously couldn't prove anything yeah there was no cell phones there was no text messages there was no phone call like it wasn't you know I can only imagine the panic and the pain and the fear happening and to go to a therapist who you know you trust therapists right like if they say send your kid here it'll help them that they were just like "Okay." okay like yeah Okay, you tell go. me the place. I will take her. I will do the thing. Exactly. Whatever it takes to help my child. Exactly. I'm so, not the expert. You are. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I can, I 100% can wrap my brain around that. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a level of being able to recognize how our past affects us mm-hmm. and recognize where our parents were at at that time. Mm-hmm. But once you grow up and you can have the mindset to recognize that, then you become responsible for the way you are. You become responsible for certain things that happen to you. And I'm not saying that parents aren't to blame. I'm just saying, like, we well, have to be careful. Yeah, and having grace <laughs> having grace, knowing, like, okay, they were doing the best that they could. Yeah. And maybe you needed something different than what they provided, but right. having grace and then now taking responsibility and giving yourself the thing that you need now. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I know, I know my parents well enough to know that they did the best they could. Yeah. And I have zero fault to them whatsoever for this program because it's, it is like I was saying, it's hard to reconcile because if they hadn't, who knows? Who knows what would have happened to me? Yeah. I, I just, I genuinely don't have an idea. Yeah. I could only say that it would have gotten worse. Because yeah. things were escalating and getting worse. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm thankful I went there. 
I, you know, the counselors that I was assigned, you know, over the months, they're my heroes to this day. You know, I love those people dearly. Absolutely. I learned so many valuable things in that program. But that doesn't negate the trauma that I experienced or the things that I witnessed with other kids. And, you know, we were put in charge of watching over, you know, some of the boys that were on suicide watch or the girls. We'd have to, you know, sit outside their room in a chair while they're on the floor, you know, with nothing. And keep an eye on like we were responsible for these kids to not hurt themselves and if they started to get aggressive or hurt themselves or try to hurt you you had to scream and hope that a staff like ran as fast as like it was (laughs) it's so weird looking back on it yeah um there was a lot of trauma there was a lot of trauma involved and i hope that they do things differently nowadays but getting back to my my childhood and growing up. So 14 months I spent in this type of, you know, program living there. Wait, so I I just want to ask, are you going to school and then going to this program or this program is your school? Yeah, they have school there. Okay. Okay. So I went in in 2001 in April. I disappeared from the face of the planet. You know, my friends just, I just didn't come to school anymore. They couldn't call me. They couldn't, like, I just disappeared. Yeah. September, like, 9-11 is such a big thing because I remember being at this school, not school, it's all in the same building. I remember watching 9-11 and just, like, I remember wanting to be like, oh, my God, does everyone know about, like, this is crazy. Like, it was such a big deal. That was only a few months after I was in. I didn't get to see my parents for five months. You have to earn privileges you have to earn the right so I was going home with all the other families and it wasn't until I chose to be honest about what happened to me yeah that I could you know move on make progress it took me nine months to admit what happened to me nine months which to this day blows my mind it just blows my mind that it took nine months for me to be in there and witnessing everything going on around me and going to these groups and therapy sessions and and looking back it's like you know these therapists had to know what happened to me yeah or had just not that i'm blaming them whatsoever just like it took nine months for me to like spit it out of my own mouth and say Yeah. yeah she touched me yeah you know yeah she did this and this But a lot of part of the trauma was, like, they made me write down every detail. Like, like, explicit detail. And I had to share it in front of, like, my own small group and all the parents in the group and all the therapists and stuff. And it's... Wow. I don't... I think that's pretty messed up. Oh, that makes me feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) That... Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It was hard. But I can tell you, it, it didn't even... It didn't cross my mind how that comes across at the time, you know? They had a name for the list that everyone had to to write at some point in their program of when they had reached a certain level and decided to be honest, you know? A cop list. You were copying to things. You were admitting to things. That's what it was. So my cop list was, I said bad words and they laughed at me 
like, that's bad to you? I'm like, yeah, that's bad to me. I was saying bad words. I was swearing. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was something I was copping to. And everyone laughed at me and was like, okay, do you have, like, something worse? Like, like, yeah, I was such an outsider in that situation. And so I was like, here's the rest, you know, and I, and I explained in, in detail. But the reason I, I shared the story of this program is because, A, not a lot of people know I ever went there. Yeah. So when people are like, where'd you go to high school? <laughs> it's like, well, my sophomore year was at this program, and I don't tell people that, so I just lie and say it was at Murray. During that time, my parents moved because we were in the same neighborhood as this woman. The we weren't going to continue going to school. Yeah in that district, which I still carry a lot of guilt for because that was like, I mean, most people in Salt Lake County know Murray and Murray's just like the cute, safe, little close knit community. That's, it's just nice. Everybody who lives in Murray likes Murray. I don't know anyone who's never not liked Murray. Maybe there are, but, and that was like a huge move for my parents. When we moved there, I was seven when we moved. And they were proud. It was a big accomplishment to be able to move there. And I was the reason we had to move, you know. And that's, that's, I don't know, that's a guilt that I've always carried around. But we ended up moving to Bountiful at the end of my sophomore year, right before I got out of this program. And this program, in addition to the therapy aspect, was also like, teaching all the kids about like just brutal honesty like brutal honesty with yourself with your your peers with your family with your siblings like honesty is important being authentic is important right well my brain the way i came out of it was i just had anxiety i had to be the perfect kid my parents were worried that I would go back and try and find this woman, that, that the abuse... Because in the program, I learned about the victim-abuser cycle. Yeah. And I, I did. I learned so... I can't negate that whatsoever. I learned yeah. so much about that cycle of yeah. victim grooming yeah. and manipulation and the way that, you know, you're not a bad kid. You're not a bad person because this person got you to do this and this and this or whatever. Yeah. And that was helpful. I learned a lot of stuff. But coming out of it, it's like we had a plan. And I I was just like under surveillance, like 24-7. I was watched. I had to check in all the time. I was, I don't know. There just wasn't room to expand myself. I was just in a very small bubble when I came out. You were told that you weren't to be trusted. And so you had to do things perfectly. That's a great way to put it. Yes. That's that's a perfect way to put it. I was not trusted at all which directly went against everything I was told not everything I was told but a lot of what I was told in there is it's not your fault you didn't do anything wrong you know it's not your fault that you were manipulated and groomed and abused and forced to do this and this and this and that it's not your fault and on the other hand it's like We're going to watch your every move. Mm -hmm. You don't get to go here. You don't get to go there. You have to be here. You have to be there. You have to, you know, like. You don't even get the privilege of being in your own bed. (laughs) Yeah, not even in there. Yeah, Yeah. in there. So when I get out, of course, I have, I have my own bedroom. I have my life back, quote, my life back. 
but it didn't feel that way. Yeah. And with my mom, you know, we've always had, we just can't live together. We cannot be in, <laughs> we cannot exist and live together in the same, we just butt heads. We know how to push each other's buttons, even yeah. if we don't even, intend, it's just like, we're yeah. on, it just happens. We do way better, you know, separate. Yeah. yeah. But we did. We fought a lot. And I was I was a great kid when I got out. I did everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. I got out in June at the end of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I took driver's ed over the summer because I was already 16 and I'd missed that oh, yeah. in school. And by fall of my junior year, I was joining the basketball team because that's that's what I was doing. I, I like sports were my life and following all the rules being the perfect person, still no church involved. And then I injured myself during tryouts. I made the team, thankfully, but I injured myself. And so I was on the sidelines with this other girl. And after like a month of hanging out at practices or games or whatever, she's like, hey, have you ever considered getting a temple recommend? And my brother, who also kind of fought the whole church thing, but was influenced by his high school friends, he was on his mission currently. My parents, like we still, we weren't going to church every Sunday or I wasn't attending like the young women stuff. And yeah, she asked me and I'm like, no, like, I mean, I just, I was in, do what everyone else is doing, do what's safe, do what's comfortable, do what, you know, I was just on this very narrow minded path of just don't make waves. Don't, you know, just keep things cool. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that began my church, I don't know, my church adventure. She mm-hmm. got me to start attending Young Women's and going to church with her. and But yeah, my senior year, I just, I ended up going to Slick instead of high school. Like I, that's the, one of the good things about that program is I just had so many school credits when I got out I was ahead yeah and my senior year I could just do like concurrent enrollment yeah I wasn't a very social kid to begin with and I just stuck by this one friend that was like church 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 and her older sister was like church we'd go to singles awards even though we were only like 17 and (laughs) it was I fit in yeah it was comfortable yeah that's where I went yeah you know and six months after high school I was engaged to be married like it was just a trajectory that I had set myself on because that's what everyone wanted me to do and everyone was happy and I got a happy reaction out of people yeah and that's what I did yeah I've been able to bury it really deep um because I don't share it that often I don't have a reason to share it I don't I just I don't yeah I'm really private I'm private on my Instagram, it's, yeah. you know, my, my only social media that I really have. I don't share a lot, but, like, I've only started being more open to sharing it recently when this whole freaking abortion thing came up. And I just started being more outspoken. Like, what if my abuser were male? I, w- I would have had a kid, you know. When I was 14, I would have been pregnant. And I just, out of nowhere, I just started getting so angry about it and but yeah just in the last like month things have kind of come more to the surface of you know abuse and stuff in this story which is 
it's hard and it, it can sometimes seem irrelevant to the bigger picture, I think, from the outside. But I know that it, you know, was a direct result of me yeah. just trying to conform and fit yeah. in and be be good. Yeah. You know, I never wanted to end up in a place like that again. Yeah. And yeah. I just fell in with the crowd. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I needed to. Yeah. And I, I really haven't ever looked back, even sharing this with my husband at the time. You know, it's, he knows about this, but he doesn't know all the details and all the stuff that I went through. It's always just been something I've glossed over, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so did you meet him in one of the singles wards that you were going to? or? Yeah, so I, after high school, you know, I got that temple recommend. Mm-hmm. I was doing all the baptisms for the dead at five o'clock in the morning before school with my yeah. friend, you know. Wow. It made me feel important and special and... I fit in and she was like one of my only friends. I had a few neighbors who are great people to this day. They've, yeah. um, but yeah, as far as like school friends, she was it. Yeah. You know, um, basketball people were it. And I graduated high school and I immediately moved to Las Vegas. We had a family friend who had moved down there previously, like, I don't know, a few years before, who was like, like my mom's friend. Yeah. Um, so that age. And I just went in and moved in with her and just, I was like, this is great. This is yeah. like a cool experience. Who gets to do this? But that thought of like, find people, don't be bored. Don't be, you know, keep busy, yeah. like stay out of trouble. That was like the huge message of this program that I was in and I carried it with me and I still hear myself say it. To this day, like idle hands, right? I think that's like a Bible thing or something. I don't oh know. I'm my god! Pretty gosh. sure it's like yeah. a scripture thing. Yes. Idle hands or uh-huh. something. Yep. Yep. Stay busy, and so I did. I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, I, I obviously wanted a job because I wanted to be able to do stuff down there. So I like, I went to a temp agency. I got a job at. No, I don't remember. <laughs> it was so much fun. I loved it. It was just the cool ex- experience because. It's vague. Well, I was in Henderson, um, yeah. which is outside of, yeah. right, you know, so right. it's not like I was like hanging on the strip, but it was just fun. But I joined a singles ward. I knew I needed to do something. And, you know, I met a boy who was like seven years. He was like 25 and I was 18. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, that's cool. That right? was really quote, cool. Quote, cool. Yeah. <laughs> And we broke up when I moved back home in the fall because I started college and, you know, my heart was broken. And December, I decided to just join a singles online dating, LDS singles or something. Yeah. Some website. Yeah. I was about to have another knee. I've had tons of knee surgeries um, from sports in high school. And I was about to have another really big one. And I was like, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to join this. Mm -hmm. Talk to people, you know, talk to boys. And within like the first week, I had reached out. I don't remember who reached out to who, but I met my ex and he took me on a date to the jazz game. And this man is the most charming, outgoing, just, I don't know a single human being that doesn't love this man. That's just his personality. Yeah. He's great. And, um... He took me to a jazz game, or maybe I had tickets. My parents might have had tickets. We went to a jazz game, and he's dancing, and he knows how to dance, and I don't know how to dance with anything. <laughs> he's just charming all over the place, right? Yeah. He took me to a movie, and 
I told him, I'm like, I'm going to be down for like 10 weeks after this surgery. He came to visit me at my house where I lived with my parents and just, it was that perfect setup of meeting just this sweet man. And, you know, four months later, we're engaged and four months after that, we're married. Yeah. Quick mm-hmm. eight month. Yep. <laughs> Quick eight month turnaround. In and out, done. Yeah. 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 Tied yeah. that one down. You know? Yeah. It's like, gotta, gotta. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah. Like, that's what we do. That's what yeah. everyone's yep. doing. Yeah. And it really is just that classic stereotype. It's a stereotype for a reason. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, we, we just did our thing. Immediately tried for kids. I had been on birth control. For a few years because of acne. Mm-hmm. So it was oh, yeah. unrelated to like having sex whatsoever. So it took us like a little over a year. And I got pregnant when mm-hmm. I was 21. And, you know, three kids later, I was a single mom. I didn't work. I said single mom. I yeah. meant stay-at-home mom. Oh, stay-at-home. Okay, cool. I was like, wait, what I happened? I was like, okay. how did you get to be a single mom? <laughs> okay, okay. So, so three kids later... Stay at home, mom. Always was, yeah. I think at one point I had a job at Neater's at night Uh just for fun. Yeah. It was not like a necessity for financial help. It was... To get me out of the house. It was just like part-time a few... Yeah, exactly. Just engaging with other people over the age of, you know, (laughs) four. Yeah, yep. Three. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We bought a couple houses while we were together. Oh my gosh. So you are like, from the outside looking in... You're doing swell. Oh, yeah. You have enough money to, like, purchase multiple properties. You're a stay-at-home mom. You've got these kids. One house at a time. You're, let's, yeah, you're, let's, you're married yeah. to Mr. Charming. Mm-hmm. Like, from Very the outside successful. looking in. Like, successful, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was, yeah absolutely. Yeah. From the outside looking in, yes, we we were doing fine. Yeah. And honestly, like, if I really take a step back... We didn't have a whole lot wrong with our marriage. Like, yeah. we didn't have... We got along. Yeah. <laughs> I I could play sports. I could throw a ball. I could kick a ball. We'd play soccer together. Like, I know that that was a huge attraction to him. Yeah. At my engagement party, his sister told me, well, he didn't find Barbie, but he found someone that could throw a ball. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. Um, Ooh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. But that ouch. was, you know, apparently that was a big deal to him yeah. to just... Because sports were his yeah. thing, too. You know, he yeah. played soccer from a young age. He played college soccer. Like, and their whole family was a sports family. Um, yeah. And so dance. He, it was... he found someone he enjoyed doing his favorite things with. Right. Exactly. But, you know, kids change things. Yeah. Of course. I was doing what I was supposed to do. It's get married, have kids. Yeah. You know, and I... It's so funny hearing some of my friends growing up and later in life talk about how, like, they always knew they were going to be a mom. Yeah. I wanted to be a mom for as long as I could remember. And, you know, and it's like, I don't have a memory of one side or the other. I don't ever remember thinking I want to be a mom. And I don't ever remember thinking I don't want kids. You talk to my 11-year-old daughter and she's like, I'm going to have two kids and their names are going to be this. <laughs> yeah. And because she's such a, a mother, yeah. a, a nurturer, that's just, she loves yeah. kids and babies. And like, that's just who she is. Yeah. You talk to my youngest and she's like, I'm yeah. never having kids. Yeah. I am going to be, no. Yeah. Nope. I'm doing whatever I want. I'll never have kids. Yeah. And I don't have a memory of how I felt. I yeah. just remember being married and thinking, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, three kids. Yeah. That's what happened. Like overtly told by leadership in the church, like it is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, like, of course. Married, I never. You are. You become a mother. You raise a family. Mm-hmm. Raising a family is like the most honorable thing you can do. Yes. As a woman. Most honorable thing. Okay. Yes. So, so what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. You're know, looking at me like, how did you get here? So I was. 19 when I got married. Mm-hmm. When I was 25... Okay, so um, let's backtrack just for two seconds. Okay. A month after I got married, my parents got divorced, finally. Okay. Because, um, as I mentioned before, they had split up, to my yes. memory, like twice in my early years. 10 and, I don't know, 13. But, like, we, my brother and I just... When they, when they finally, like, divorced, we were just like... It's about time. Yeah, thank like, you. Like, exhale. You guys... Like, let's move on Yeah, now. and it's not like we... Okay, I can't speak for my brother, because I've talked to him, and he and I have very different views of our childhood. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is he remembers more, um, but he also remembers other things that I'm like, that's how I was during that time. Like, I don't... Yeah. We just have very different views. Okay. I don't... I, I, like, yeah, our parents fought, like everybody fights, but I don't remember growing up in, like, this troubled home where my parents were just like unhappy or yeah you know at each other's throat that's just not my memory yeah but as I got older you know I fought a lot with my mom Mm -hmm. and the second I moved out it was like things are great yeah (laughs) you know we got along more I just at the time we were just both like oh thank god they're done so my kids at the time were three, one, and in my belly. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant with my youngest. And my mom had been starting to attend this group, like a self-help run by a very well-educated, great woman, uh, like a life coach. I don't mm-hmm. know how it's okay. so yeah. Maybe that's the yeah. best way for other people to relate yeah. to it. But she held a group. She did, you know, she runs retreats. Um, a few times a year, different retreats, holds like a, a group meeting a couple times a week. And it's just, it was very chill. You just show up and be like, hey, I got that job I interviewed for. And, you know, it's been great. Or, hey, I'm, yeah. you know, I've been feeling really crappy about myself and I can't get out of my rut. And other people give feedback and yeah. just very great group. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. Probably 100 to maybe sometimes 200 really act quote I say active just people that would show up on a regular basis yeah you know to these meetings or to these retreats and stuff and it was great she was she enjoyed it she went to this one retreat it's like the first retreat that you do to kind of like dig deep and who you are and why you are the way you are and what's holding you back in life and it's like a four-day retreat they run out like those huge houses in Park City or Mm -hmm. you know Midway that have you know two bunk beds per bedroom they house you know sleep yeah. Many, you know, 30 people and blow up mattresses and you buy food and you all cook meals together and you're just there for a weekend and yeah. you meditate, you go outside, you do Tai Chi and just simple. Yeah. Just retreats. She started doing stuff like that. And we were just like, you know, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, being in a Mormon mindset, 
That's the only group that you should be involved yes, in. Yes, yes, That's okay. the only self-help that you should be involved in. That's the only, I don't know. Yes, okay. Thank you for saying that. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I've been on that side of being Mormon and looking at the outside going, that's not the right way yeah. to live your life, you yeah. know? But I also grew up with my mom's side of the family, whom I love dearly, you yeah. know, not Mormon, never judged them a day in my life. Yeah. But once I went into that church, I just remember the mind shift or the mindset shifting. And uh, it's like, I'm almost embarrassed by it now looking back. Cause it's like, man, you were awful. <laughs> like in, yeah. you know, the way that I thought anyway, she really wanted me to go on this retreat, this first retreat, yeah. um, to send me there, to, like, pay for me to go. She'd already, it's not something you do more than once. You do it once, and then you yeah. move on to the other ones. Yeah. Right. She did it. She loved it so much. She wanted to gift it to you. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people, what, they would gift it to family members. and Right. You know, because it's, you know, a few hundred dollars or whatever. And, you know, I was pregnant. I was home all day with my two kids. And I was, she's like just it's four days like you don't get your phone they don't like take it but they suggest like everyone put your phone in the basket for the weekend turn it off unplug yeah you know right family's aware yeah be present yeah just gift this moment to yourself exactly exactly and I was like sign me up (laughs) (laughs) I don't even care what we do for the four days I am there yeah you know yeah yeah yes and the people who take you are the people who've been through it so they drive you up okay you know it's like you have a car there and it's it can come across like you know so no one can just leave when they want to but it's more of like no worries. Yeah, worry just I'm going to drop you off. You yeah. stay. Yeah. It's hard in some regards because, you know, you're sharing a house with 50 people. Yeah. And um, some of the staff that help out and bathrooms and meals and they're complete strangers. Yeah. Right. But it was such a good, ex- it was so outside of my comfort zone. And I met people I had never met before, yeah. you know. The person sitting next to me and the next 10 people weren't Mormon. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I was six years in and that was my life, six years into my marriage and being Mormon was my life. You know, we spent time with my, um, my husband's family, all Mormon. Like it was just, so I'm sitting here with these people who have all these stories to share about their lives and some are Mormon. It's not like an anti-Mormon thing. It's just different people. There's gay people. Yeah. Oh my God. Gay people. Like that was... It was just, I don't know, but yeah. the whole atmosphere was love, acceptance, yeah. people just chatting and yes. yeah. digging through hard stuff. Anyway, just to kind of cut through the weeds, this retreat changed something in me. Mm-hmm. It opened my eyes and my heart and my just everything to yeah. a world outside of the bubble that I had been living in for six years and full of depression. I mean, I had never even considered depression until after my second kid was born. And I had the baby blues. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. My doctor talked to me about it, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I was on antidepressant medication for like eight months after my second kid was born. And then I got a job at Neaters mm-hmm. just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great. It's what I needed. Yeah. And I'm not a social person, but yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just needed something outside of the home. And during those last couple years, few years of our marriage, he was finishing his bachelor's and then he got into the MBA program at Westminster. He was working full-time all day at his normal job and then he'd go straight to school full-time at night. We didn't see each other that often. Yeah. There was already this disconnect kind of happening. Yeah. But the plan was, I'm going to graduate and then you're going to start. Because I wanted to go to school. I yeah. had never finished school. And I wanted to go back to school. He's like, and then you'll start, you know, in the spring semester. And that was our plan. It was like, yes, cool, yeah. awesome, great. So this whole group had changed something in me to where it just really, it just kind of took a lock off my brain. Allowed me to just see things differently, see people differently. Instead of being kind of in zombie mode or like autopilot, I was more like paying attention to how I felt at times or what was going on around me, people around me. I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Yeah. Yeah. It just cracked me wide open. So I start after the retreat, I started going to their weekly meetings as often as I could. Mm-hmm. Just being around these people more. And I I believe in energy. I think Mm -hmm. everybody carries an energy. And of course, a collective energy within a group is, you know, makes an impact. And it did. It just, it made a a huge change in my life. I started thinking about myself because for years, God forbid, I think about myself. You know, it was all about the husband and supporting the husband. And that's a huge, huge message from the church. Mm -hmm. Be there for the husband. Be there for the kids. Yeah. Forget about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that they say forget about yourself, but if you really put it all together, it's just a fine line. Yeah. I did. I just, and I started thinking more about myself and I know I can imagine it had an impact on my husband. I'm sure he's, you know, he felt over the course of about a year, me kind of pulling away. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it if I tried. Mm-mm. I was like a freight train going downhill. Yeah. I was just soaking up yeah. this everything, you know. Yeah. Um, Once you see it, you can't unsee it. No, it's so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can't really transition this the best way other than to say I began to question my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that was just being around people who were accepting of that, you know, woman over there who was gay or that man over there that was gay. And it's like, oh, that's okay. And like, I grew up, my mom, you know, she had gay friends, but they weren't, you know, it wasn't like family dinner with the gay friends, but it's not like it was a taboo subject. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It just wasn't there. It didn't hit me until, you know, it hit me for myself. Yeah. And one day about a year after I did that, first retreat after going to these meetings I talked to somebody from that group and I was like I think I'm gay like I I'm I think I'm attracted to women and I'm freaking the hell out right now like I I don't even and the second that I said it out loud to somebody like I didn't eat for two weeks I was like that butterfly moment like on a roller coaster it was there 24 7 for like two weeks it was the weirdest feeling i'd ever had because it was it was new it was vulnerable you know yeah and that person happened to have almost an identical situation to me mormon married divorced three kids right they were older 
um, than I am. They put me in touch with another woman from this group who I knew. I knew these people. Mormon, married, divorced, three kids. Like, I just saw myself in these people and I was yeah. like, oh my God. Like, they gave me without giving me permission to be mm. me yeah. or to like, ex- like explore the feelings that I was having. Um, talk to them about it. Yeah. yeah. Freak out about it. And I... You know, it gave me permission to think and be introspective with myself about how I was feeling. And and I don't know. It was just, it was a great experience. Yeah. I didn't tell my husband at the time. I needed to figure myself yeah. out. I had no idea. I was scared. I was terrified. I was excited. And a few months after that was a women's retreat. Same group. Summer women's retreat. Camping. All that fun stuff. And I made the decision that I was going to tell him I needed to. I couldn't keep it in. It was like two months later after I had blurted Mm -hmm. it out to someone that I was going to tell him before this retreat and that I, and I'm not saying it was the right choice, but at the time I thought it'll be good to tell him before so that we can have time to process to just like separately sit with mm. it without like in each other's environment right he was done with school he wasn't in school at night it was summer he was yeah. done he finished in the spring and so he was home a lot more I had started an exercise program <laughs> like I I had given birth to my daughter a couple months after that first retreat so my daughter was almost one mm-hmm. okay and I had just gone on this like self-love mm-hmm. eating healthy exercising everything I was just like gung-ho about it he saw that he could see the change he couldn't pinpoint the changes yeah. and I decided okay I need to talk to him I should wait until right before this retreat to do it mm-hmm. and I did I I met with my other friends first and I'm like how did you tell your husband how did you tell your husband like it was a thing like yeah. quote think yeah like to me I was like like no one does this this is so crazy no one you know so I got a lot of support and I sat him down one night after we put the kids to bed and and I told him I was like I'm bisexual and I, I couldn't tell you the conversation. I couldn't tell you yeah. a lot of the words that almost any of the words other than he was kind. He was gracious. He was understanding. I mean, in hindsight, it's like, no shit, you're gay. Like, duh. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's obvious looking back. It was obvious to my mom when I told her after that conversation. I think I told her the same night or the next night. And she's like, I know, honey. Um, really? really? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Picture me right now. This was me Mormon. Very similar style. I was always masculine. I was always tomboyish. I, I've always had short hair. You don't look masculine always, to me though. Like at your face like and I'm like, oh my god, you got the beautiful eyes. <laughs> yeah. la- it's because I like, like makeup. <laughs> yeah. Well that's you what guys. like I'm like I'm not looking at a masculine uh, woman right now, but so it, it, felt, was obvious. it felt obvious to those who know you personally. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's probably why he wasn't like, what? You know, it's, mm. he's not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it wasn't. 
And it's not like it was a secret I had been hiding from him. Granted, yes, it was for about two months when I decided to get honest with myself. I see. But that... That's a whole other conversation of, you know, how did you not know you were gay? Like, oh, I hate that question. I, I know how <laughs> because you are a woman. And yeah. it, as a woman in America, as a woman in LDS culture, it's not even okay for you to have sexuality. You're right, period. Like, yeah. you, you don't learn about your own. It's all in service to him. Mm-hmm. He needs it, you provide it, you keep him. Yes. Like, you don't get to discover your own sexuality. Sorry, I got a little bit, go got ahead. A little well, bit of anger, it. like, kind yeah. of up there. But, like, you don't get to have your own. So, of course, you don't know yours. Right. Of course, you don't. Also, you are drenched in homophobic culture. And so, I mean, subconsciously, do you want to go there? Like, you're, you're not allowed to know or express your own. You're drenched in homophobic culture. Of course. Like, and, I don't think it's weird that you don't and know. The, I think yeah. it was on purpose that you don't know. Well, yeah. And the stereotype is, too, within this culture of get married as fast as you can, have the baby, do, like, do all of that. So in those times of uh, experimenting as like most adolescents oh, yeah. that move into adulthood, <laughs> yep. it, that was it seemed to be robbed from you uh, from the moment that you were fourteen and beyond. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. how do and, you? And not to mention, like I wonder, I like you probably have trauma with like experiences with women because of what happened to you in the, at that inappropriate age. You know, and, and I had trauma with men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, you know, fooled around with some boy, like my Vegas yeah. boyfriend. Right. And, yeah. and and with my husband even before marriage. And it yep. freaked me yeah. out. Yep. I would call my counselors from that program. Like I said, there's I have like a love-hate relationship with that program because yeah. they help and they didn't. Uh, yeah. Sure. But yeah, I'd be like, I don't, I just, we're making out and I'm having a panic attack. Like, I don't know what to do with myself, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it did. Yeah. You are taught to ignore your natural biological responses in those moments. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I just want to hold space for the fact that you didn't know or you you never had, you, you weren't given permission to, like, really right. have that be an option. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Absolutely. In that program, I was accused of being gay mm. because it was a woman who yeah. abused me yeah. and because it didn't hurt, because it wasn't traumatizing in the sense of I wasn't, you know, duct taped and tied to a pole and, you yeah. know, raped. Yeah. And I hate to be explicit, but that's that's not what abuse looks like Mm-mm. the majority of the time yeah. at all yeah. whatsoever. It's manipulative, it's slow, it's conniving, it's... Brainwashing. Oh, it's so much... Like, it, it really is such, grooming. Yeah, literally grooming, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. so different. But I remember sitting in a group, the small group, which meant you kind of knew them a little more than you knew everyone else. Yeah. And the small group was... Uh, depends on how many kids were in, eight, nine, ten kids. Yeah. And someone was like, do you think you're gay? Because it's okay if you're gay. You know, they're like, my sister's gay. It's cool. Like, this was not a conversation you're having in 2000. You know, like, being gay was, like, such a taboo. Yeah. But everyone was, like, so cool about it. And I'm like, I'm not gay. Like, I've never even considered. Like, it was not even close to my, like, being on my radar. But they had put 
like two and two together that just because I wasn't brutally harmed by this woman and we were the same gender that it made me gay or that it even made them question that I was gay. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, how about you? You were molested by, you know, your uncle. Are you straight? Like, yeah. who asked that question? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It made me so angry. Even now coming out and knowing I am flat out gayer than gay. Yeah. Like, it's still that whole assumption um, about abuse yeah. making people yeah. gay is just, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, that's not yeah. I can't. I just get, like, so yeah. rage-filled. Because Amen, sister, no is... one says, does abuse make you straight? Like, who, no one says that. Yeah. You're 100% right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did that make you straight? I don't know. It's so stupid. Anyway, where do we leave off? Okay, so you, you tell him, and uh, he is kind in receiving this information. You tell your mom, and she's like, I know, sweetie. <laughs> I told so... my dad, I'll love you anyway, but we've never talked about it since. Oh, yeah. really? Mm. He's Mormon. Yeah. 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 He's since, uh, you know, got remarried. So he is taught Loves homophobic me, ideologies. Me. Yeah. But he's, you know, like, I can call him up and be like, hey, you know, we're, you want to have dinner? We'll go to dinner. Yeah. Hey, do you want to do, like, he's, yeah. he's there, but we don't talk about sure. it. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know how else um, to yeah. explain that. In my head, I was going through, so your daughter is about a year old when this story or your youngest daughter is about a year old when Mm -hmm. the story unfolds and i remember you saying that your youngest is 10 or 11 right now Mm -hmm. she's 10 so it's been nearly 10 years 2012 what's happened in that time frame who are you where are you at like how are you how are you (laughs) i'm good i since then i've I've been through, I've learned a lot. Yeah. I've grown. I cut ties with that group. I made a lot of great relationships and connections with people. And I messed up a lot of relationships and connections with those people that were 100% my fault. And I've also lost connections and relationships with those people that were their fault. That I've just, you know, I'm not perfect. And well, I mean, and you were going through like a major life change, <laughs> a major sure. life change. Lots of people are in that group. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, when I left my husband, which that's essentially what it is, mm-hmm. I, it was my choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know when I told him, I knew I was done with the church and I told him that in the same conversation, mm-hmm. I, this church, no more. Mm-hmm. Granted, since I had started in the church, I'd always been thrown into like kid response I was always in like primary oh, yeah. and nursery okay. I never spent mm-hmm. a day in releases I was like I just can't I, bleh, I'm done <laughs> I can't yeah, do yeah. this anymore yeah but I I I didn't know what I was gonna do about my marriage and I talked to him and we had like a Lake Powell trip coming up that was like the big thing with his family we'd go every year it was already all paid for and I'm like mm-hmm. we gotta fake it through this because yeah he's like yeah like I don't so we had to, I had to like spend to a week do. with his family, knowing, like, yeah. had to keep the secret. He was, and and I'm sorry, at your, I, when you're going through this, do you know <clears throat> that you want your marriage to to be over? Are you wanting to work through this? Where you're like, hey, I'm noticing, 
like how can I honor this piece of sexuality in me while also remaining in this marriage? Is that maybe where you were at or? The first conversation was, I don't know what the hell to do. Okay. I just know church done. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm bisexual because to me, I was like, I can't, how do I marry a man and not be bisexual? Yeah. So would you say you're gay? At this time? Rather than like bisexual? It doesn't matter? I, I won't spend my life with a man but mm-hmm. i could have sex with a man sure yeah. okay. <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah but not like i will not date a man i will yeah. not have a relationship with a man yeah so i just say i'm gay it's so much easier i'm yeah. lesbian okay yeah. but yeah at the time i just i did not know about the marriage part mm-hmm. because that's a lot right yeah. three kids blah 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 but we spoke a lot every night after the kids would kids that young you can't have a conversation yeah. until yes. they're out of the room or asleep yes. We talked a lot, a lot, a lot. And a month and a half later, I moved out. That was our decision. Um, It was something I decided that I couldn't go through my life and not explore that side of me. Mm -hmm. And so I moved out. And, you know, I came back every single morning to be that mom that stayed home with the kid. Like, what what were we going to do with the kids? Oh, wow. Okay. So I came back every day. Yeah. I'd come at like 536 in the morning and he would go to work. And I'd do Mom normal thinks. things. I'd take him to the grocery store. He would transfer me money to my bank account to go buy groceries. Like, it wow. was, he was kind. Yeah. It was such a accepting, weird dynamic. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. You were, but you yeah. were co-parenting together, putting the kids, like, trying to keep things as normal and as congruent for them as you could mm-hmm. while being respectful of each other. Yes. And at the same time, we had agreed, like, we did not want our kids in childcare. God forbid our kids were in childcare. Yeah. That's since changed. But <laughs> at the time, that was our solution. Yeah. But I was working nights in graves. And, mm. you know, coming back first thing in the morning, it was hard. Yeah. Wow. Like a month later, I was on our iPad at the house and found that he was already online dating and telling women he'd been divorced for six months. And that was a huge turning point for me. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I bet. I mean, that probably hurt like, yeah. but it yeah. probably was so freeing. Yeah. Like, okay. A, a little less guilt yeah. on my end. Cause I was like, who spends eight years with someone and starts online dating a month later and telling them you've been divorced for six months you didn't even know I was gay until like two months ago like yeah. let's hold on that was eye-opening to me sure. that was a real big I don't yeah I don't know like, I don't I don't, don't want to talk bad it was just it was pivotal yeah it was pivotal for me yes so I just kept trudging along my own path and mm. doing my thing two years later he was married remarried and she had you know four kids of her own and and once that happened, he told me that I wasn't needed anymore during the day. That, you know, she ran a, a preschool and that's where my kids would be during the day. Mm-hmm. And they were moving, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away to where she lived. And and I didn't get to see my kids anymore. And I met, you know, a friend that I still have to this day who's just an angel of a human being. And she's, you know, the only one that I keep in touch with from that time Mm -hmm. um, that's known me from before yeah, Mm -hmm. and after and all through the mess. And I just found a way to rebuild myself. And, you know, I didn't have a full education or 
work training. And so I've spent the last nine years of my life building that up, you know, getting different jobs. And, you know, I went through, I went through the shit. Yeah. You know, all that muck and came out a little more calmer. Mm -hmm. I still have crappy anxiety, but you know, I've, I've learned more of who I am and I've made friendships along the way. My kids have, you know, they're strong. They're smart. Oh, they're smart kids. And they're just great. We have a beautiful home that we live in. And, you know, they've, they went through a period of time of, you know, we had a custody battle and that was nasty, but we, we all came through it. We're kind of out on the other side of some really rough times yeah yeah. and they have stability in their schools in their home in their you know just their daily lives and it's it's been I don't know I guess I've never said any of it out loud to really look back on it you know my mom will always tell me you're such a good mom you're doing great you're so strong I'm so proud of you and it's like yeah yeah okay mom thanks you know I took my kids on their first vacation that I've ever taken they go on vacations all the time with you know their dad or their grandparents you funded it exactly (laughs) yeah I funded it I paid for it I planned it I was finally able to take them to we went to Yellowstone that's where I grew up going every year that's my favorite place on the planet and we spent you know four days there three and a half days last weekend and that was that was like a that was it for me. I was emotional the whole time. I got teary-eyed when we drove into the actual cuz we stayed in the West Yellowstone. I just was I I don't it was such a weird triumph. Yeah. Like it's the simplest vacation. It's just road tripping, really. Yeah. But to share that with them to me was like a really big proud moment as a mom to yeah. be able to take them yeah. and for them to, to enjoy it. God yeah. forbid they don't yeah. like it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but they loved it. And I'm like, awesome. We're going every year. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, I have a career now. I have a stable job. I can provide for my kids. I can provide for myself. Um, not that we don't go through rough times, but it's just, yeah, it took me about eight years to rebuild and feel comfortable, but here we are. Yeah. Can we go back to that woman who is married to a man and who has three young children and has just realized that there's a whole other part to herself that she's never acknowledged experienced and in that scary moment like oh my gosh what do I do if you could just whisper into her ear today what would you tell her take a deep breath trust the feeling that's inside you the good old trust your gut I believe in that through and through Put one foot in front of the other. Always put one foot in front of the other. You can't stand still. 
but I'd probably say it in a way that didn't go back to that whole idle hands thing because yeah. that's a trigger. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. really feel good, but it's it's more of just it doesn't matter if that one step of putting one foot in front of the other takes you three feet or if it takes you three inches. It's just something small. Like, just keep keep going. And even your rest can be um, a forward movement. Because I don't think that there's anything wrong with when you go through life and need to take a rest and a break. It's still pulling you, even if it's just your very soul or being, it's still pulling you in a forward positive movement. It's doing something for you. So deep breaths, trust your gut and take the next step. That's for sure what I would say. Yeah. We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out. <laughs>